0: So we're following a series looking at the prophecies may say. Six months into his new reign, I wonder how you think King Charles is doing. Just before his coronation in May, a survey was done asking members of the public what characteristics they thought would make a good king. In no particular order, here are some of their answers. A king should be calm and decisive. A king should be hardworking and have integrity. A king should speak well and communicate regularly to the nation. A king should help maintain order in the country. A king should strive to protect people. I have to say, I think that's a pretty good list. We would all be pleased if King Charles's reign was marked by those qualities, whether we are an ardent monarchist or not. In the Old Testament, there was a very clear set of expectations for a king. They were to be by God in the Old Testament that were fulfilled by Jesus. Again and again, we're finding that when God makes a promise, he always keeps it. And this is good news, because God is faithful, he can always be trusted. Yet, as we follow this series, we're also learning more about Jesus himself who he is, and what he came to earth to achieve. So far we have seen that Jesus is the victor, the one who defeats evil. Last time we saw that Jesus is the prophet, the one who speaks God's truth. This time we're thinking of Jesus as God's appointed king. If I was to ask you what makes a good king, I wonder what you would say. A leader, particularly in terms of the army. The king was to lead them into battle, to lead the nation to victory. The king was also to be someone who sought the well-being of his people. The king was to strive to bring peace and prosperity to Israel. But there was one characteristic of a king that stood out above any other, even those we've just mentioned. Above everything else, Israel's king was to be a servant. A servant of God. You may not know this, but actually God never wanted kings in Israel. He never wanted a monarchy ruling his people. Why? Because God did this job himself. God was their sovereign leader and defender and guide. But the people kept pestering God for a human king. They wanted a monarch like all the other nations around them. So eventually, God gave in to their request. He graciously let them have what they wanted with one proviso. The king of Israel must serve him. In the Old Testament then, the number one task of a king was to follow God's instructions. The king was to reflect God's character in his words and behavior. And he was to encourage the people to become more like God as well. I cannot stress this enough. The job of the king of Israel was to be a servant. Pointing to the nation to the king who is greater than himself. Almighty God. Now our passage today clearly involved one Old Testament king in particular. King David. You may know a little bit about David's backstory. David was chosen by God to be king when he was just a boy. He was the youngest of his family and he was out working with the sheep when God sent Samuel to his home. Samuel first looked at all of David's brothers but God told him not to choose any of them. God wanted David because he saw that David had a good heart. After being anointed by Samuel, David went on to do some pretty heroic things, like defeating Goliath, for instance. But actually, he had to wait a long time for his coronation. Only after God had dealt with his predecessor Saul could David take to the throne. And this happened in 2 Samuel 5. Just two chapters before our reading. Now if you skim over those two chapters you will see that David's reign began really well. It's fair to say that he achieved everything that the people would have dreamed of. First he conquered Jerusalem and made it Israel's capital city. Then he defeated the Philistines, Israel's long time dreaded enemy. And then he brought the Ark of the Covenant up to Jerusalem with all the pomp and ceremony you could possibly imagine. David has started off doing everything we mentioned a moment ago. He's a king who's won the victory and he's brought peace and prosperity to the people. However, with all his initial success, David is in danger of getting a little carried away. In fact, he is in danger of forgetting that third, very important characteristic of an Israelite king. Amongst all the glory and the accolades, David moves away slightly from being a servant. A servant who does only what God asks him to do. Our passage began with David making great plans, grand plans, David has decided he's going to build God a great temple in his new capital city. He wants it to be a very ornate house of God, a building to match his own very grand palace, which has already been constructed. But David has done all this planning without ever once consulting God. He's powering off in his own direction and in his own strength. He is forgetting himself. Is there anyone else here who gets carried away when planning something? I do, particularly when it comes to holidays and adventures. Very often, Emily has to rein me back in. Well, this is what happens here to David. God cannot have his king tearing off in his own direction, so he sends the prophet Nathan to speak to David. In fact, he sends the prophet Nathan to bring David's plan to a halt. In the first part of God's message to Nathan, he actually gives his reasons. Up to now, God's special presence has been known to the people in a tent, the tabernacle. And God liked his tent because it was mobile. Wherever his people went, he went with them. He always dwelt at the heart of their camp. He was at the center of all that they did. God didn't want a temple at this point. Because he didn't want the people thinking that he could be tied down and boxed up and only accessed when they wanted him. He didn't want that at all. God also couldn't allow a precedent where his king just got carried away with himself. He didn't want power to go to David's head. So he had to keep him in check. David was to be a servant. And to teach him this, God stopped his grandiose building ambitions. But notice this, for it's important. Even though God has just stopped David's plan, he still deeply cares for him. In fact, God loved David dearly. He was his chosen king. And not for one moment did God regret that choice. So once David had learned his lesson over who was really sovereign in the land, God came back to David with an incredible Promise. Verses 8 to 16 of our reading are some of the most important verses in the Old Testament. And as we shall see in a moment, they are certainly some of the words that the Jews hung on to in their times of difficulty. Let me briefly break it down so we can see what God commits Himself to here. First of all, in verses 8 to 11, God promises to go on blessing David. God recalls how he brought David from being a shepherd boy to king and he promises to keep supporting him. He will help David defeat his enemies and he'll bring lasting peace to the people. In fact, God is going to make his reign so successful, David's name will go down in history as a great one. The second part of the promise comes in verses 12 to 15 and I have to say I love what God does here. David had wanted to build God a house. And God, for good reason, had said no. But now, God turns around to David and promises to build a house for him. Not a house made out of brick, but out of people. A household, as we would call it today. It's a very clever play on words. God promises David that one of his offspring would succeed him. And it would be that child who would go on to build God a temple. You see, David's intentions hadn't been totally wrong. It was just that he had the timing wrong because he hadn't consulted God. David's son would build the temple that David dreamed of. Notice what else God says to David here about his son. God would treat David's son like his own. So that when David was no longer around to care for him, God would do it for him. He says, I will be his father and he shall be my son. Now it's been said that you can cease to be a wife or a husband, but you can never cease to be a father or a mother. That child will always be yours, come what may. And this is what God promises to David regarding his son. He will never give up on him. At times, David's son will go wrong, and God will discipline him as required. But he will never stop loving him. And this must have been an incredibly reassuring thing for David to hear. What began with God saying, no, you're not building a temple, has been turned round to this promise of incredible blessing. But wait for it. The best is yet to come. The third part of the promise is verse 16. Let me read it to you again. Your house, there's the wordplay again, your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. That is a big deal. A very big deal big deal god finishes off by promising david that one of his descendants will sit on the throne forevermore his kingdom shall never end and understandably that eternal commitment from god blew david away he just didn't know how to take it in And the rest of 2 Samuel 7 is made up of Daniel on his knees in prayer doing the only thing he could. Giving thanks to the Lord. Now we're following a series looking at how the promises of the Old Testament came true. How God kept his word. So let me now skip on a bit and show you how this promise was fulfilled as well. First of all, God did go on blessing David. He did defeat more of Israel's enemies. He did bring peace and prosperity to the people. God also stuck by David when he went seriously wrong with Bathsheba. And he brought him out of many difficult situations. And as a result, David's reign was a great one. And his name is truly famous. Still today we talk about him and make sculptures of him. To the Jews, he is still their greatest hero. God kept his promise. Secondly, God did give David a household. Following his reign, David's son Solomon succeeded him. And it was Solomon who built the temple. You can read all about it in the opening chapters to 1 Kings. And God did indeed treat Solomon like his very own son. He gave him great wealth and wisdom. And when Solomon went wrong, which he did spectacularly, God did have to step in with a bit of discipline. But God never stopped loving him. Indeed, he ensured that Solomon's son succeeded him as king as well. So that's the first two parts of the promise, all fulfilled well and good. But what about the incredible third part? What about this promise that one of David's descendants is going to reign forever? Well, being honest, at first, things didn't look too good. In fact, this promise seemed to be in great danger. Because after the year 587 BC, when the Babylonians captured Jerusalem, there has not been a Davidic king on the throne of Israel. Israel were in exile, captive of a foreign empire, and when they did eventually return home, their land was then taken over by other enemies, such as the Greeks and the Romans, and they installed their own kings. These were very dark days for Israel indeed. Yet through them all, the people stubbornly refused to give up hope. They kept praying and waiting, longing that this promise in 2 Samuel 7 would come true. They really believed that a king in David's line would come into their trouble and rescue them. And they called him the Messiah. As time passed, God himself began to encourage this belief in the people. He sent prophets to instruct them to watch out, because this king was coming. Listen to these words from Jeremiah, and see how closely they tie in with 2 Samuel 7. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely, and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will live in safety this is the name by which he'll be called the Lord, our righteous saviour. I will fulfil the good promise I made to the people of Israel. For this is what the Lord says. David will never fail to have a man to sit on the throne of Israel. So with Jeremiah's encouragement, the people kept hoping and praying. But still the years kept slipping past and there was no sign of this promised king the people were beginning to wonder how much longer are we going to have to wait until one night the angel Gabriel appeared to a young girl called Mary and said the following words do not be afraid Mary you have found favor with God you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Can you see? All the wording of 2 Samuel 7 is there in Gabriel's message to Mary. A king in David's line who will reign forever. His kingdom will never end. Jesus was the fulfillment all the people had been waiting for. A thousand years after God had first spoken to David through the prophet Nathan, the final, most glorious part of the promise was coming true. And when you reread 2 Samuel 7 in light of Jesus you begin to see how he fulfills every aspect of it. He fulfills it in ways that David could never have dreamt of. Jesus was the flesh and blood descendant of David. His family tree proves it. Jesus didn't build a temple like Solomon. Jesus was the temple. He was the temple of God on earth. He was the place where human beings could meet the divine and get guidance and have their sins forgiven. Jesus himself said that his body was the temple that would be raised three days after it was broken down. The promise in 2 Samuel 7 spoke of God being the father and the king being his son. That was true for Jesus in a way way beyond it was for Solomon. Jesus was the son of God. The promise in 2 Samuel 7 also spoke of David's descendant being punished and flogged by human hands. That happened to Jesus. Not because of his own sin, but because of the world's. But as promised, God did not remove his love from him. After death, he raised him to life and seated him on the throne forevermore. Do you see, Jesus is not just a king, he is the king, the one Israel had been waiting for ever since this promise was given. Jesus is the king of kings and his reign will last forever. Now we began this sermon by reflecting on what makes a good king. So let's return to that. Let's finish by asking, what type of king is Jesus? Of course, Jesus was never an earthly king. In the first century, Herod was king where Jesus lived, and it was Caesar who ruled the empire. But that said, Jesus did do all that was expected of an Old Testament king. He did lead the way to a great victory, not on the battlefield, but at the cross. Jesus won the battle over evil and sin and death. Thanks to him, the devil and hell have been vanquished. Jesus has made the way for peace, true peace, peace that passes all understanding. When you come to know Jesus, you experience peace for yourself, peace with God, and you know one day when the king returns, peace will reign on earth forevermore. But of course, above all else, Jesus is the servant king. Jesus did everything his father asked of him. He demonstrated to us God's character perfectly. He was such a servant, he gave up his life for the benefit of us all. Through his broken body, served up for us, we can be forgiven Jesus is the perfect king. There will never be another king like him. We have to wait for no one else. We must live to honour him. So we come to the end of this sermon thinking about God's promise of a king. Let us give thanks that God kept his promise to David. Not only that his family would continue to rule Israel but that his greatest son, Jesus, is now king over everything. And in response to this news, let us make the effort to install Jesus as king over our lives. Let us live for him and follow his instructions. Let us honour him and bow before him in worship. Let us sing anthems of praise and tell of his kingdom to all who are not in it. Remember, unlike with King Charles, one day we will meet this king and we will speak to him face to face. He will know everything about us and we will live with him forever. Jesus is coming back to rule the world. As we have seen, God always keeps his promises and he will keep this one too. So let's be ready to welcome King Jesus.